Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 138. Uh, before we get started, I have a couple of announcements. First off, I guess I just wanted to say special thank you to Wally Wingert for being on last week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, by a strange irony, uh, you would never expect a voice actor to know so much about a silent film actor like Lon Chaney, but he did, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so thank you, Wally, for being on the show. I also wanted to remind everybody that Alpha Omega Con will be happening on September 19th, which is a Saturday. It'll be from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And more than one lesson, we'll have a booth there, so you can come up and say hello to me. I also happen to know that friend of the show, uh, friend of the show, Doug Jones, will also have a booth there, so you could go and say hi to him as well. Uh, at 12:30 p.m. until 1:30, uh, I will be hosting a panel about the importance of discernment and personal conviction in uh, our approach to art. Uh, it's going to be a pretty big panel uh, due to uh, some confusion. So there will be some people on there that I know and some people that I don't know, but that's actually okay because um, I'm excited for a number of points of view and uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun and uh, there will be a Q&A. So you're welcome to to come along and uh Ask us any questions that you want. Uh, well, not any question, hopefully related to the panel. Um, and yeah, so I believe it costs $5 to go to uh, Alpha Omega Con if you purchase the ticket in advance. I believe it costs $10 if you get it at the door. Either way, pretty inexpensive for, you know, if you want to spend an eight-hour day, there's a number of panels and a number of booths to, uh, to look at. And so I really loved Alpha Omega Con last year. Uh, it was very, uh, encur- encouraging to me because it is, uh, it's a, it's a comic con very much. Well, not even comic con, but like it's a convention very much for people like us. Um, Christians who are not afraid to engage art on its own level rather than just require that all art be uh, of a Christian nature or G rated or whatever. So, uh, it was really great. I, if you are in the Los Angeles or Orange County area, uh, I would encourage you to please come because I think you'll enjoy it a great deal. So, all right. I think that is about it as far as uh, announcements. So I will go ahead and welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Good. All right. I haven't seen you in a while. Is that true? No, that's no. not true. It's only been a couple of weeks. I guess I'm used to not seeing you for a while, but you're... You're you're back in the rotation at least for a little while. Back here, and then you're going to be uh, shooting a documentary. I am. What's it going to be about? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Ugh. I never know how much I'm allowed to say about these things. The movies you work on are usually pretty terrible. Who cares if the if the you know if the premise gets out? It's a all right, it's a documentary about spiders that come out of a uh, volcano. All right, they start attacking Los Angeles. You got me. Um, I feel like I would have remembered that, but you know, oh, but it hasn't happened yet. It's planned. It's planned. And when the, when it happens, you're going to be right there with a camera. Yeah, we know it's going to happen and we just, we want to be ready for it. Absolutely. You know, it's going to be admittedly, you know what? Hang on a minute. Okay. Let me put this out there. All right. If giant tarantulas came out of a volcano. Mm-hmm. Almost like an avalanche of them, like a... Oh, that does okay i recognize that uh we're speaking in fantasy but that's still terrifying um if giant tarantulas came out of a volcano and mm-hmm. started attacking a, ma- uh, a major american city or any or any city 
that the fact that these animals exist in a volcano and are now attacking us, I feel like in the history of the world, mm-hmm. that event would be like in the top 10 of notable events. Oh, probably. You know, like when you think about it, like, you know, oh, we landed a man on the moon. That's, mm-hmm. that's great. It's a big one. That's a big one. Not as big as even just one of these spiders that live in a volcano and are now attacking humans. Like, it would be a major, you know, it would be like a a day that was marked. Like, even if we Mm -hmm. beat them all, uh, the fact that you never know if there's more coming or there's uh, or there's, you know, some kind of maybe some kind of mega shark out there or a giant octopus, you know, or. uh, uh, Oh, shoot. Um. Some sort of weather pattern. Sure. Absolutely. Well, no, there are, there are, you know, what, typhoons? Full of sharks? Huh? Full of sharks. Oh, I see. I thought you were talking about that terrible uh, weather wars that you, or disaster wars that you Disaster wars, yeah. But yeah, I feel like if just, if any, any kind of high concept horror or sci-fi movie, if even one of them turned out to be the case, it would change everything about the way we look at the world. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a weird thing to to think about. That's why people like these movies because they culturally they're they're thinking about how the world would change. Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny that you you use the word culture. Yeah, as we we're talking about Lavalanchula, yeah, uh, the documentary uh, coming to a theater near you. Yeah, coming soon. Oddly enough, Steve Steve Gutenberg will be around. Yes, Uh, he. I think he's going to fight him. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. So this film has all Lavalanchula has already uh, premiered, correct? It has, it okay. Has. How do they? How do they? How do they beat those Lavalanchulas? Um, they, do they uh, just douse them with water or something. Yeah, it's just water. <laughs> Is that really it? No. Oh, okay. They okay. Think think like a writer for this kind of movie. You're fighting against lava. Okay. What do you use? You're thinking about it too much. <laughs> Uh, ice. Okay, you're, that's very close. Okay. Okay. Uh, like uh, nitrogen. Like nitrogen. Is Liquid that a nitrogen? nitrogen? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so they freeze the spiders. I mean, they just shoot liquid nitrogen at them and it kills them. <laughs> Pretty much. See, it seems like what you got to do, you got to take a take a page from you know Terminator Two. Uh, that's Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I got to say, if if giant lavalanchulas came after us, I'd say that is also judgment day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, what you got to do is you, you freeze the lavalanchulas and then they are stuck like that. And then you like hit them and they shatter. So oh, like, yeah. that would be a really that dramatic be, image. That'd be cool. You know, but instead you just shoot li- liquid nitrogen at them. And yeah. Well, they get bigger and bigger. And so it's, they get, how big do they get? Uh, there's one, the mama lantula that is, uh, sort of the queen that one uh that's like a building pretty much that's a big one so look i don't mean to depress you (laughs) but years ago when you made the trek out to hollywood you know with dreams of making it big Mm -hmm. was your definition of big a mama lantula the size of a building. Absolutely. I wrote that in my wallet before i moved to los angeles you wrote yourself a check that said mama lantula yeah you know, pay to the, you know, to the order of, uh, well, Lavalanchula, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. 
And now you're working out. Your dreams are coming true. Yeah. Oh boy. Who says dreams don't come true? Not me. A lot of people do actually. A lot of people do. That's usually the case. But they're cynical. You know, your dreams are coming true. It's true. Your dreams of a, of a tarantula. Yeah. It's a terrible lives dream in lava. I had. Yeah, it's a really horrible dream, admittedly. <laughs> when they say dreams come true, they're usually talking about nightmares, I Yes, think. That, that is true, yes. Man, can you imagine having a, a nightmare where, oh no, the volcano is erupting and now I got to get safe, I got to be safe from this lava. Oh my gosh, what's mm-hmm. coming out of the lava? Yeah. This, this couldn't get any worse. <laughs> and that bully from high school shows up. Yeah. He's the worst one. Yeah. We should move on. Sorry, everybody. Uh, that was us being silly and delightful, I like to think. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we're now just... Now that we've brought you in... Yeah, it's time to, to alienate you completely. Podcast. So, all right. <clears throat> Before we start recording, Josh and I were talking about a certain type of fatigue that we have. Uh, now we've brought this on ourselves or more specifically, I have brought this upon us. Um, and that is Christian movie fatigue. Now here's the deal. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Alex Kendrick Kendrick's war room and we want to try and avoid being glib. We want to try to avoid making fun of it because that's what everybody does. We want to try to be constructive about it. But what, so when we talk about this fatigue, uh, I don't want you to think that we're being merely facetious. Um, there is a very real fatigue that I that I feel. You mentioned it, mm-hmm. but I also feel it, even though yeah. it was my idea to, to talk about this movie. Um, and it's no different than any other kind of fatigue when you see movies of a very specific kind and they just don't get better. Mm-hmm. I think that's the fatigue. The fatigue is, yes, we're going to talk about War Room, and it's probably not going to be, unless, of course, we decide to uh, take a couple detours down uh, Lavalanchula Road. Um, <laughs> Lavalanchula Lane, it would have to be, uh, yeah, Fair it? enough, yes. Lanelanchula. <laughs> Lavalanchula Lane. Oh, that's that's a good one. I like that one. Lavalanchula. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Lavalanchula um, See, there's one right there. So. Yeah. Barring any more of those, which we can't, um, I feel like this episode is going to be kind of short. Now, it might not be, but I feel like it's going to be short because really, what more is there to say from a critical standpoint about Christian film? Mm-hmm. If they're not getting any better, it's it's astounding to me. And we'll get into the details about War Room in a moment, in a moment but... With the exception of Believe Me, which is a movie that you and I both enjoyed, mm-hmm. and um, and Blue Like Jazz had its moments, but by and large, it, it kind of falls victim to a lot of the same issues. Um, the, you know, I covered Fireproof years, I mean, you know, years ago when it came out. I, not, not when it came out. I wasn't doing the podcast then, but I think it was episode like number 11, 12, 13. I don't remember exactly. And so it was a long time ago. Mm. So I covered that. You and I talked about Courageous. We've talked about Saving Christmas. We've talked about God's Not Dead. We talked about Do You Believe? We've talked about a number of Christian films. And the notes are always the same. Now, why is that? Is it because you and I just keep, you know, have have you and I not changed? I mean, that's that's always a possibility. I've never changed. 
That is entirely possible. Your clothes you're talking about, right? Because yes. I can smell you very yeah. clearly from here. Yeah. So you smell, well, like lava I, I, from that shoot. Yeah. So that smell right. doesn't come out. No, you can't get lava out. <laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, um, the issue with these movies, first and foremost, is the writing, but it's just... Uh, it's just almost everything. And I feel terrible. We'll, we'll talk about some of the positive things when we get into specifics, but upon watching war room and then thinking more about it over the last few days and then looking at people's comments about it, both positively and negatively, it's just like you could take the words war room out and put the word courageous in. You could put fireproof in, you could put God's not dead. It doesn't matter. The critic, the criticism both from Christians and non-Christians are going to be the same. The people who support it are going to say the exact same thing every time. And I just don't know what the solution is, except that people need to just demand that these movies be better. Hmm. Um, so that's my, uh, preamble to what we're about to talk about, you know? Um, so I'll just throw it to you. Um, and, and, Oh, before I do that, actually, um, I will say the movie was number two at the box office this last weekend. Now, by all accounts, a very weak weekend as far as yeah. releases go. Well, this was opening that weekend. I forgot. Uh, we are your friends, which is a historical bomb at this point, like uh, yeah. for the number of screens that it opened on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it didn't even crack the top 10. Um, and I think what? there was maybe one that, or two others. That but. movie is even more not for anybody than war room is. I think they were like a Zac Efron EDM movie. That's kind of, I, I, I've read that it has something to do with almost the graduate, like not, not intentionally, but like it's a similar character or something. Yeah. I mean, you could see it as like every movie has an audience and I feel like if done well, that movie, you know, it's what, like what's the difference between that and say like magic Mike, which is actually a very good movie, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's kind of a gimmick to magic Mike, which is like, Oh, you get to see these guys dance around and they're, and it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And if you have an appreciation for EDM, which I do to a point, mm-hmm. um, it can still be good. And the specificity of, of, you know, the medium in which this kid is working is interesting to me, but by all accounts, it's just forgettable and who cares, Yeah, you know, it could wind up, the audience could ultimately just be like, Hey, girls want to go see Zac Efron. He's a very attractive guy. And, uh, you know, let's go do this. And I could see those same girls being into EDM. So who's to say it's possible, but, but yeah, it was just, but I guess the issue is like, how do you market the movie? Like, is it a summer movie? You know, which one war room? No, uh, uh, we are your friends, friends, you know, that seems like more of a February or March type of film, but yeah. Um, but that's I mean, not, maybe it thinks it's more important. Than, I don't know. We're not talking about that's that entirely movie. possible. Um, we will of course be talking about, we are your friends next week. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it was a week weekend. Um, you know, it's worth noting that the movie that took the number one spot was straight out of Compton in its third week. Mm-hmm. So that should tell you how much August has been terrible, uh, this year. Has someone taken that gif of, uh, of him crying in that movie and, and made it into a meme where he's crying because they lost uh, to worm at the box office. 
Uh, is there? Have you not seen that one yet? No, I guess not. Apparently, there's a scene where he's DJing music, and he finds it so moving that he begins to cry. Um, so they've, I've already seen that meme of him, you know, with the headphones on in a dark, you know, shivery room crying and, you know, you know how memes go. They make him cry about whatever they oh, think sure. is funny, Absolutely. but, uh, the, the idea of them losing to worm at the box office is that seems like that, an actual, that, that's a real one. That seems like that, that might be a gift somewhere already. Um, so, I mean, it's a war room made $11 million. Uh, in its first weekend. Now, when, you know, during the summer, $11 million is not that much. Yeah. But on an off week and for a Christian film, $11 million is a lot. I don't and, think it's going to do God's Not Dead money, but it's going to, it's getting people's attention, certainly. And compared to their budget, too. Like, oh, when sure. you look at those movies, that can't be more. I mean, I would guess those movies are in the two to three range. Maybe even less. Two to three what? Million. Oh my, I think, I, I thought you were saying two, two to three hundred thousand, which I could also believe. If I had to guess, I'd say in the area of five to seven fifty. Um, I don't know, because I've worked on a lot of movies that are in that range, and I, I, this seems like they have more money than that. I guess But then so. again, it is, it is, uh, most of it, I think they shot in North Carolina, which is cheaper, locations are cheaper. Yeah. Uh, you don't have any name actors. Um, yeah, that's the, true. Although apparently Beth Moore is in that film, if you know who she is, that name sounds familiar. I didn't know who she was, but my wife did. Apparently, she she does like Bible studies for women or something like that. Okay. She is she is a name in the Christian, uh, you know, okay, the the world of Christian ministry. So, but she plays like what's the character's name? Um, I might not have it in front of us. She no no she's not that one. But she plays is a. Elizabeth, yeah, that's the main character. She plays like her coworker, oh, so okay. she's in the movie for about ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that seemed like an odd place to put a cameo for that. But anyway, she's yeah, the only one who is a anybody that I think anyone would have heard of, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, there are, you know, I was looking up the cast, and some of them are, you know, character actors that have been around a while, and they and they have acted in dozens of things. You know, like you know, one episode of a TV show here and there, but in, in important roles in that episode. Um, so yeah. Uh, but uh, sorry, I was just talking about, uh, about the money. So, um, so that's the thing, what often will happen. And this is what happened with God's not dead. Um, is that, so now the film has made money because people feel like they need to go see it. And now that it's made money, then this narrative starts and it's a true narrative to a certain extent, which is you see the Christian market has money. They're looking to spend it. They want to see movies. And so suddenly now the movie's probably going to make more money Mm. as a result of people using it as a way of sending a message Mm -hmm. to Hollywood. And they're using it like it's a symbol way more than an actual movie. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and the reason that I bring that up is because obviously that's why these movies keep getting made. That's if they make money, that's why they make money. And that's why they continue to be made the way they are made because yeah. the people that go to see them, and I'm sorry to be speaking in, in such generalities, that's probably not the case in every case, but a lot of the people that go to see these movies and specifically the people that champion them, they champion them not because of what they are, but because of what they represent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like almost any time, especially with art, any time you are championing what a film represents, mm-hmm. 
the 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 art itself will suffer yeah so anyway i I just wanted to bring that up uh so i'll throw it to you uh feel free to make in in your general reaction to the film and you can go from expectation to reality Mm -hmm. um whatever you want to do uh general reaction to the film um for some reason i thought and this is something i thought that you had said to me and i must have either totally made up in my head or misremembered or maybe somebody else thought this and told me this i thought it had something to do with actual war Hmm. i knew it was about uh, that prayer was the theme right um but for some reason i thought that it involved actual wartime there are a couple of like little vignette type things or whatever that shows you know soldiers in a bunker Right. Yeah. But planning something out. Yeah. Which which is an image I think they incorporated into the trailer, but maybe, and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's where I or someone got that idea. But, uh, because of that, I was interested to see, because one of the things we talked about when we talked about courageous was that, um, Alex Kendrick seems to direct action sequences fairly well, or at least he did in that film. They were, they were, they were the best sequences in the movie. We were notably impressed and surprised Mm -hmm. by, the a, a very large step forward in filmmaking technique yeah. from fireproof to courageous. Did we ever look into, and this, <laughs> uh, th- this maybe is a terrible insult to Alex Kendrick to even suggest this, but did we look into whether it's possible some of that stuff was shot by a different director, like a second unit director, someone who deals with stunts or effects or something? We did not look into that. Um, it's possible. You know? I should find that out because that would make a, I feel like that would make a big difference the way we're looking at him. <laughs> True. I mean, the, like it is, it is very much night and day. Uh, yeah. Cause it seems, it seems so strange to have these scenes that are, uh, you know, exciting and engaging. They're kinetic. You, you know what's happening and they're kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, and then you take these other scenes that are just so bland and boring the way, in the way they're shot. So, uh, I don't know. Anyway, where I was going with all of this is thinking that this had something to do with war. I was thinking there might be some actual war sequences and I was curious to see how those go. Uh, There are not. Yeah. Um, The direction for the most part is rather boring. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that, that was, that was my first reaction to it. Then uh, in terms of generalities, uh, I felt like it was, um, I feel like it's worse than courageous. Um, I feel like there are rarely uh, any time that there are stakes, they seem artificially set up and they're quickly and easily disposed of or dealt with or not even taken seriously. Um, I think they're trying to strike a balance between, uh, panicking and going into despair about potentially terrible situations and uh you know resting in god's assurance and yeah you know the hope that god's going to take care of everything um which is a delicate balance to strike and it, and it doesn't work in the film it, it comes off as this isn't this is not actually important and you know th- there are never any real I was going to say there never are any real consequences and there are, he, he loses his job later in the film because of something right. that he did, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a consequence. It doesn't have any kind of weight. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, that that I guess that general thing I'm saying is that I okay. I feel like the the there's not a lot of drama to it, and when when it is, it's it's kind of quickly brushed off without being allowed to to turn into something interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think I'm good to go into some more specifics uh, mm-hmm. if you are, and we will. Okay, so obviously, general thing, we don't like the movie. It's not effective. And I will say, just in case anybody's listening to this and thinking, well, of course they're not going to like the movies. That's not the kind of movies that... I feel like I should say this. I want Christian movies to be good. I am a Christian. Mm -hmm. You know? I am a demographic, just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And most movies aren't for me. Now, I can still get something out of them. Mm -hmm. But often I will have to work for it. And I often have to acknowledge that what I'm getting out of it the director, I almost guarantee, wasn't trying for it, mm-hmm. you know, especially if I'm getting anything spiritual out of it. Mm-hmm. So, I want Christian films to be good. You know, I want these themes to be explored in a meaningful way, um, which is why you and I were so excited that Believe Me was a funny comedy that explores a very important theme in a very subtle, thought-provoking way. Yeah. So I want these movies to be good. I walk away from these movies, you know, having been engaged on two levels. One, artistically, and the engagement there is negative. Second, spiritually, and the engagement there is, I'm I'm not going to say wholly positive, but I do often feel like, you know, I've been, I've had certain biblical truths told to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, ca- which often will cause conviction, like, oh, you know, I don't pray enough, or, oh, you know what, maybe I, I should treat my wife better, or whatever. Like, I'm feeling that, because that's what I'm supposed to feel, so mission accomplished, you did that, but, so I'm, pu- I'm being put in a position of having to thematically embrace a movie that I know is terrible, and that I would never recommend to anybody, Um and that's frustrating. I don't like that the movie's making me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately, I don't embrace it because I can't recommend it. And so much, and I spend so much of the movie. I have a like, I have a hard time being when I feel embarrassed for people on screen. I will, I have, I close my eyes mm. because I can't. Like, I'll listen, but often I can't stand to watch when an actor is being put through a terrible scene yeah. and they have to sell awful dialogue. And there were a couple moments in war room where I had to shut my eyes. Hmm. And there was one moment when you may recall, I had to use the restroom. So I, I was gone for, you know, 45 seconds to a minute and I came back, but I didn't sit down immediately. I stood in the hall and watched the screen from there just so I could kind of, at the very least, allow myself to have the physical reactions to the film that I so badly wanted to have. But we were in a theater full of people that were in sympathy with the film. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't have the reactions that I wanted to have there, which is just like exasperation and stuff like that. And so, you know, these movies definitely have an effect on me as a film goer mm-hmm. um, and as a Christian. And those two are often in conflict. And so it's very frustrating. I don't want to be in conflict. I want to feel engaged spiritually and artistically at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I want, I am on the side of Christian film in theory. Mm -hmm. I want it to get better. I'm not just looking to just throw stones and that's it. I don't want to just burn the house down. I want it to be replaced with a much, you know, a much stronger foundation. So, um, what do you, uh, and actually now that we've talked about that, what do you think of that? Like, is this, uh, 
when I say like, I want Christian film to be good, I instinctively have a response, a, a reaction to even me saying that, which is like, well, I just want all movies to be good, which is true. Um, do you find yourself having that reaction about Christian film specifically, or do you just think like, well, I just want all movies to be good. The end. Um, I mean, I feel it because there's kind of invested interest in, uh, in Christian films because I think it's a, it's a, you know, I believe in the message behind Mm -hmm. them most of the time. So I think, uh, I think it's better for a movie like that, that has a, a, a true message to reach more people and affect more people. And in that case, I think it has to be a better movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's part of me that would specifically like Christian films to be good. Um, that's why I feel like I want to celebrate any, any movie that kind of has Christian themes in it when there's a good one that comes out that has that. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, when we, we saw a surprising number of trailers, uh, in this film, uh, not in the film, sorry. <laughs> the character's like, let's have a seat and see and what's coming to our local multiplex. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple movies that looked pr- potentially good. There's I, th- one I think that called Captive, Captive movie is going to be good. I'm interested to see that. There's one called The 33 that looks okay about the coal miners that were trapped uh, in yeah. that cave. Like, yeah, at the very least, like, be good. good cast and it looks like pretty good production value yeah. and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's... So it's not hopeless. Right. And hey, there's always Believe Me to cling to, mm. you know, that movie that nobody saw um, <laughs> and, and no one has heard of. Um, I was literally toying with the idea of buying a bunch of copies of Believe Me just giving them to for people. the next time I go to the International Christian Film Festival and literally selling them for a dollar each. Um, no, if you sell them for a dollar, people won't think they're worth anything. That's true. Five bucks. I'll do yeah. five bucks. And because I spent a lot of time telling people about them, like, Oh, that sounds really good. It's like, boy, I hope you watch it. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, we got to get, we got to get down to business. So, so positive things about the war room, because I don't want to just focus on the negative. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of positive this time around. Um, there are thing, there are a couple of scenes that I like. Um, there's one scene in which the main character, Elizabeth played by, uh, Priscilla Shearer, I believe, um, is how you pronounce that. She uh, has finally decided to pray against uh, Satan, which I recognize sounds very melodramatic, and it is a little bit melodramatic, but her performance is pretty strong, and the way the camera is moving, uh, I don't think it's all one shot, but there's a nice fluidity to it as she is moving through the house and praying uh, against Satan. and, And it's that sequence, like emotionally it's written well she plays it as somebody who's not prayed this kind of thing before Mm -hmm. and thus doesn't necessarily know exactly what she's saying and it's written that way part of me was kind of hoping (laughs) this is weird uh so the way that scene's happening she's just come down the stairs and the camera's kind of uh it's moving and panning with her. So it's kind of almost rotating her mm-hmm. and you're seeing the room sort of be revealed behind her. And it's kind of, it's kind of a dark space. There's pillars in the foreground and, and things like that. And part of me thought like, what if they do this and pan around and there's some kind of like shadowy manifestation of Satan in the yeah. house that would have scared the pants off of me. Like that's the kind yeah. of thing that really gets me in movies. And I was like, Oh, are they going to do that? And then I thought, no, of course they're not going to do that. That would, that would be, 
Yeah. That, that, that isn't something that would occur to them. That would be, um, that would be risky for a non-Christian film to do, which is yeah. this seemingly naturalistic. That's one of the great things about the exorcist mm-hmm. having a seemingly naturalistic depiction only to show, oh my, no, there's yeah. a lot more going on here than we yeah. thought. And suddenly change, basically change genres halfway through. <laughs> yeah. But boy, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> it does not happen. Um, and so that scene I think is pretty powerful, especially because it starts with her praying, uh, that God will prevent her husband from doing anything stupid. And in that moment he is out of town and he is having a nice dinner with a woman that is not his wife. And it's pretty clear, like they're probably going to go back to her place. And so it's, it's intercutting. And yes, I recognize that my praise of intercutting, I'm basically praising them for going back to 1915 (laughs) and, uh, Griffith, you know? Um, so, you know, that sounds a little bit insulting, but it works. It's effective. Um, you know, and, uh, so that sequence is pretty good there. And then at one point she actually, she leaves her house and goes out into the yard and then continues the monologue. And for whatever reason in that moment, the, whatever power the scene has is gone. I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe because it's a change of scenery, maybe because the camera work changes. I don't know exactly. Maybe I think she, as an actress, maybe loses the thread a little bit, but when she's in, when she's in the house delivering that monologue again, it's not, you know, it's not network or anything like that. It's not, you know, these amazing, this amazing monologue, but for the film that it's in, I actually felt something. Um, and, I was, uh, so that moment I think was to me the most effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a couple of things I thought, uh, Karen Abercrombie who plays, uh, Miss Clara, this, this older woman, I thought she did a pretty good job. She is, and you could kind of tell, like, I think she's wearing a wig. Um, mm-hmm. and you can tell she's younger than she's playing, but she's playing yeah. old pretty well. Yeah. Um, and she plays the humor fairly well and she plays the passion of this old woman pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. too. And so, um, she was a little over the top for me, I think. But oh, not, sure. Not, yeah. Yeah. Not terrible. I mean, not Medea over the top. So, right. And I will say that like, maybe the reason that I responded fairly positively to her character is because I felt like her character had a pulse mm-hmm. and I feel like so many of these other characters in a lot of, in how they're written, um, just sort of declare their feelings rather than actually feel them. Even mm-hmm. though, you know, we may see a lot of scenes of people crying and yet I don't get the impression they're actually There's feeling anything. so many scenes of people crying. I spent more time thinking about whether they were actual tears or whether they were a movie trick for you. They use glycerin. They put it in the corners of your eyes and then it drips down because it shows up better on yeah. camera. Um, uh, so I spent most of those scenes trying to figure out if they were real tears or, or uh, glycerin. Yeah, it's, and that's the thing is, you know, uh, so T.C. Stallings and Priscilla Shearer, uh, they're not, Priscilla Shearer is not an actress, which I believe. Mm. Um, she is actually like a, a Christian public speaker. Which really? Which explain why she did okay in a monologue. Hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. Because she no longer has to bounce off of anybody. She can right. just go completely from her own feelings. Uh in the moment, which I think as a public, if you're a, uh, a trained public speaker, you need to be able to, uh, prompt yourself mm-hmm. to react to certain things. So, um, that probably explains that. And so 
Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other like performances that really jumped out at me, not particularly. Um, this is something that we talked about with courageous and something that I had a stronger feeling of, uh, maybe than you is that, so there's a lot of attempts at humor in war room, just as there were in fireproof, just as there were in courageous. Mm. Um, and a lot of them don't land. Um, most of them don't land, but I do think that Alex Kendrick, for whatever reason, he has a pretty good handle on deadpan comedy, um, which is people just sort of staring in relative disbelief at somebody else and trying to figure out why are they doing what they're doing or why are they saying what they're saying and just kind of allowing the take to take as long as it needs to for the laugh to come. And there's one scene in particular where uh, the main character is just sitting in her little prayer closet thing, eating chips and drinking notably a Sprite. Um, and, uh, and her daughter is just mystified by why is she doing this? And then her daughter's friend steps out with a very, just a dumb expression on her face. And it's funny. I laughed out loud and it's me- and I was meant to, and I know it sounds, it's, it, I can't think of a more backhanded compliment than this, which is the film wanted me to react away a certain way. And I did. So that's a win. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I, take specific note of it in one or two scenes should tell you just how much this film did not impact me emotionally the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, uh, so I mentioned earlier, I think um, Alex Kendrick is getting a bit more comfortable with the camera. Uh, there weren't, there, I don't, there weren't very many static shots. Maybe the camera is moving a bit too much, but I'd rather that than static shots. Yeah. Um, and I feel like from a blocking standpoint, I think he does a little bit better there as well. Um, Might be. Or maybe I, the moving camera just hides it better, which I it think could is, be. Either way, I, I'm okay with it. It does, it does look like for this movie, uh, somebody, you know, like was like, you can have a dolly for this one. And they were like, everything's on the dolly. So there's sure. like almost every scene, it seems like is either, uh, you know, panning across them or not panning uh dolling past them or in towards them or whatever um and maybe i'm just a sucker for that kind of filmmaking in general uh i do tend to like that um especially this is going to sound strange especially when it's kind of a domestic drama Mm -hmm. because and i'm giving alex kendrick way too way too much credit i don't think this is what he was intending Mm -hmm. but in a in a drama like this with a camera you know dollying past somebody it's almost as though we are spectators that like we are passers-by who happen to be catching a little bit of drama like like when you're walking in a parking lot and you see people arguing and you maybe kept catch like a snippet of their conversation but you keep walking Mm. you know you catch them you're moving as you're as you're witnessing them and so by doing by shooting this film that way that is I think unconsciously a thing that I feel like we're, we're getting just a little snapshot of this thing. And what then is communicated to me is that who knows how many countless millions other uh, of other marriages are just like this one. Mm. And this is just a snapshot of this one. So like it, just a glimpse of it. Uh, I, I don't think Alex Kendrick was trying for that at all. <laughs> I was going to say, but, you might be giving him a little too much credit there, but that is, I, I think that is just, 
in better films hmm. when they have done this this is that's how i've responded yeah the impulse here seems to be it's more interesting if the camera's moving yes which is um, true yes although but that's not a good well I, that's not that's not always true i don't think actually yeah. i think that's a i think i know that that's a thing that i have heard directors say on set so that's hmm. uh it's kind of like when you don't have any other ideas uh make and a I, move i guess as a fan of jim jarmish i guess i definitely don't believe that to be true like he's yeah. a fan of the good old static shot and it works fine yeah. and for deadpan comedy static shots are great yeah static two shots um but uh yeah i don't know so that that was something and uh sorry how did we get onto that were we uh we were, to, I, we were talking about the things that i liked and i thought oh, the okay. camera work was if not better at least again i think Rather than say he's getting good with the camera, he's getting more comfortable with the camera, mm -hmm. which I think is yeah. a good step forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, that might be it for me as far as positive. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have anything? Um, I liked the performance of the guy who plays his his like friend at the health club. Yeah. I liked that guy's performance. He seemed natural to me, and he had some lines that were... He had lines that he played funny, even if yeah. they weren't necessarily that funny, um, in a way that it sounded like that's sort of guy I might say. Sure. Like there's been some of the other comedic moments they've had in the other films where it, it doesn't even seem like any real person would ever say this, let right. alone this character that you're presenting towards us. Right. Um, or they try and put someone who's like a cartoon character into the middle of a, a real situation. And it seems so awkward. Yeah. Um, but this guy seemed like a real person and, uh, you know, made some of these jokes, even if they're not that great jokes, feel like they're really coming out of a real person's mouth. Um, so I, I don't know which one he is on this list because I don't remember his name. The friend? Yeah. Uh, Michael, played by an actor simply known as Michael Jr. Really? Yeah. That's weird. That is strange. Um, so yeah, there was that. Um... There was, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, I mean, I like some of the ideas that they're getting into. I, I sure. like, I, I mean, I think those, those are the things that I like the most are, are thematic things and, and, uh, you know, uh, ideas behind it, even if I don't feel like they're presented very well, like, uh, the idea of dealing with a, you know, domestic, you know, uh, domestic problems, like marriages mm -hmm. breaking up and, and uh, that stuff through the lens of prayer and using prayer to as, as something to fight against that and to change that I think is good. Yeah. And I think uh, it's interesting to see the way that like when she is, um, when she tries to serve him, even though he's actively unkind to her, yeah. um, seeing the way that he, that that changes him I think is good. And, uh, and I'd say that at least feels like that we're in a little bit of a heightened world here, but I think it, it feels like it does earn itself that he, he, his reactions to her, um, not, not, it feels a bit rushed, but when it happens, it, yeah. I feel like, yes. It feels like it's for the right reasons. It feels a little bit... Ex there's that kind of breakdown moment he has that I think is is too big and comes too soon in the film, but... It starts well, though. Like, when yeah. he says, I don't know why you're treating me this way. Right. First off, again, like, this is 
kind of screenwriting one-on-one, but someone saying, I don't know why you're treating me this way. There's a misdirect there. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that somebody says when you're mistreating them, mm-hmm. but his, he's getting at, I've done such terrible things. And yet here you are being loving to me. I don't know why. Yeah. So like even just a little thing like that, where like, you know, I, I'll go ahead and say, I think you and I are savvy, uh, savvy enough to know where they're headed, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, like just a little thing like that, which it's like a line that could have t- a line that has two meanings mm-hmm. or could have one meaning or another. Just even that is enough to show a certain degree of sensitivity towards your audience, but also the characters themselves and the idea that if you treat somebody well, there's not a guarantee that they're going to recognize that. Yeah. You know, and so by and at just first he doesn't, which I liked also, yeah, yeah. like there's there earlier, like the first time she kind of does that, then she, you know, asks him something kind of simple and he's, he's just like, no, he turns yeah. her down. And I thought that was good. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple little moments, and and I don't know if Alex Kendrick is married. If I had to guess, I'd say he is, just based on the movies that he's made. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know he probably has looked at some of the things in his own marriage or other marriages that he's that he's seen, and has tried to either replicate that or get to an emotional core. And so, and I don't think he does it very often because I think he's very limited as a writer. But but I think it is there from time to time, and um. And I think some of those moments, you know, a certain, when somebody is reaching out to you and you respond with callousness, that is a thing that happens. Yeah. You know, I, I have done it and I have had it done to me mm-hmm. and it's, it's tough when it happens and moments like that, I, you're right. Moments like that go a long way. There's a truth there. They go a long way to earning where we eventually get, Yeah, which Again, I feel like they rush, but I don't even mind the rushing if a couple of steps along the way feel real. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I remembered is I I I feel like Alex Kendrick is becoming a better actor. Yeah, I I thought his performance in this is is pretty good. It's mm-hmm. it's a there's not a lot to that character, and I kind of don't like like the way he plays his very last notes as the character. Right. Um. But in the earlier scenes, especially, he seems seems believable. He seems like I, I feel like that's a good performance. Yeah, and it's I mean it's definitely a supporting performance. I, yeah. You know, and good for him for not uh, feeling like he should play the lead. And actually, that speaks to something that I really like about the movie. Mm-hmm. And this may sound strange. Um, so the main character, the main couple, and then the 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 older woman and and a lot of their friends, they are black. Now, I don't instinctively like that or dislike it. It's neutral. But what I like is that, and I was saying this on um, Battleship Pretension recently, that um, people have a very clear idea of what the evangelical church looks like in the U.S. And what they think is white. Yeah. When, in fact, there's a great deal more racial and uh, class diversity in the in the American church. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong, there's plenty of like the plenty of upper class white suburban churches out there. There's plenty of those, don't get me wrong. But there's also a lot of you know, like just black communities that are often organized around their church. Yeah. It's not at all unusual for that to be the case. And so for you know, this this story didn't have to be that. Like it didn't but 
Alex Kendrick, I think I can see it one of two ways. One is infinitely more cynical than the other. Uh, so the optimistic way is that he is trying to illustrate that there, that the Christian church looks different than what people think it does. And then also maybe trying to say like, you know what? Along with the Christian audience, the black audience is not often catered to by Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make something for them too, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if that's the case, I respect it. The flip side of that is a certain degree of cynicism, which is, Hey, these Tyler Perry movies, they cater to a black audience and they're, and they have a lot of God stuff in them and they make tons of money. They're very successful. So if I just do that, if I just, these characters that I wrote white, if I just make them black, then suddenly I'll get a demographic that I wasn't going to get before. That is the cynical flip side of the thing I said a moment Mm -hmm. ago. And I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt and say, it's the first thing. And I, I, and I, it's a thing that I, I respect to a certain extent. I would bet anything that since now that you say this woman, uh, who played, Elizabeth is a is like a Christian speaker. Mm-hmm. My guess is that the two of them got connected somehow, and sure. she was like, she wanted to help get a movie made, and he decided to put her in it. And I would guess yeah. that's the genesis for the movie. Um, so it might that that probably f- falls somewhere in between those two. Uh, yeah, two I feel like it would be. I could see her being like enough of a pardon me enough of a force that. I could hear, you know, um, and I don't mean to say that like she persuaded him, but that yeah. the two of them kind of saw a certain kindred spirit of like, yes, we need to send a message to a very specific community. Maybe yeah. she thought, you know, what community needs to hear this is the black community. Yeah. You know, I that's speculation on my part, but yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Um, you know, uh, I think he had a lot of collaborators, mm-hmm. maybe who didn't get official screenwriting credit, but I think you had a lot of collaborators in, in the making of this film and shaping it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry, I, we were talking about the stuff that you like, but it, it occurred to me like that was a big thing mm-hmm. that I respect about the film Yeah. that, um, and by the way, it's, it has not gone, gone unnoticed. Mm. Uh, the AV clubs, D grade uh, and hey it wasn't an F so that's a win <laughs> uh, they mentioned that that this was that this had a predominantly black cast and that they they acknowledged that the African American community is woefully underserved by Hollywood mm-hmm. so he is attempting to serve them and that is a or at least acknowledge they're there yeah. and that they see movies and that that is something that should be applauded. Yeah. So, you know, when even AB club is probably about as hostile to these types of movies as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, when even they acknowledge that, Hey, this is not a bad thing. Uh, I feel like that's, that's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't expect him to like necessarily do it again or not. It's just, I think it's just a, a choice. He, a, a very specific choice that he made. And I think it was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any other, any other positive things that you wanted to, uh, discuss? I think that was it. Okay. Uh, so we'll move into the negative things and you know what? I don't even want to spend that much time on it. I do want to like, I want to spend enough time that people have a sense of, what this film could do better, mm-hmm. which is a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But as always, first and foremost is the script. Mm-hmm. I have, 
I will, I'll boil things down to like two major problems for me. Hmm. One is structure. I'm not saying that somebody needs to blindly adhere to a three act structure. But the reason that so many movies fall into a three-act structure is because it's very effective. Mm -hmm. From a character arc standpoint, from a story standpoint, three acts, the rising and falling action, denouement, like it's all there and yeah. it's all satisfying. There, it, there are plenty of great movies out there that don't adhere to that right. and that's fine. But if you don't adhere to that, it needs to be for a very good reason. Yeah. And the, this feels like more that they just don't, don't aren't aware that that's, that that is an effective structure. Right. And it just fascinates me because that is a thing that he has never gotten right. Mm. Just whether it be, and I haven't seen facing the giants, but I'm going to assume that's the same deal. Um, yeah. From fireproof to courageous to this, like, it's like he has a five act movie, but even the, but they're not even delineated clearly. Um, not that they necessarily need to be, but just, it just goes on. It, it's like the denouement is like 25 minutes of things working out mm -hmm. and you realize, and you want to say the conflict is over. And while I'm glad that there's been resolution, these people are together now, you know, that's, it's why stories say, and they lived happily ever after, because we, we can now infer this. <laughs> we can, we you get know? the idea. We don't need to see them live happily after, yeah. ever after for yeah. 20 you, minutes. You don't want to say like, and it's like, and then in, the, in their fifth year of marriage, they did this. And in mm -hmm. their 10th year, no, we got it happily ever after. And so you can, and I'm, I'm fine with like a, a, a solid, like seven minute denouement, but like, but yeah, it's, uh, that I think is a big problem. And I feel like if you get that right, I feel like a lot of character stuff falls into place. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think those have to go hand in hand. If you have a good structure or things, uh, you know, with natural rising and falling in action and that stuff, I think that, that has to go hand in hand with characters that are interesting because something's happening to them or they're making some kind of, you know, impactful decisions. Yeah. It's, so I feel like that's that's something that needs to be learned as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And I again, like I'm not saying that every movie needs to be the same, but there's a reason that certain formulas have worked. Um so the second thing obviously from a the dialogue is is tough. Um and the thing that I noticed this time around is that there is almost no casual dialogue there was almost no character building dialogue except maybe for the excuse me except maybe for the old woman mm -hmm. which is maybe one of the reasons i responded to her character um but everybody else the the dialogue is functional it will say they will say what they think what their motivation is they will often refer to the other person by their name so that we got their name mm -hmm. you know both parents refer to their daughter as danielle they never say honey or a sweetie or anything like that. They always say Danielle mm -hmm. just to make sure we got it. That character's name is Danielle. <laughs> and so, um, so I feel like that's the thing is just everything seems kind of formal. Everything seems very functional, almost as though, oh, almost as though the characters are robots and they're simply going through the motions of a story mm. as opposed to look at, I mean, Look at the way you interact with you. Well, you're a bad example, obviously, because you speak only in, you know, pure function and beeps and boops. That doesn't compute. There you go. Um, but 
But like, look at like you and your wife or me and mine, like we have little jokes with each other. And even when we're angry, like there's little nuances that will just come in <coughs> as a function of who I am as a person <coughs> and who you are as a person. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, we all have them. We have just these little, it could be a turn of phrase, whatever it is that goes so far in, in creating the reality of the situation. But in this, it's simply, I am upset. Here is why. Here's what you should do. Here is why. Just that over and over again. Yeah. Well, that, there, that's the difference between having a character with a specific personality and just having a collection of, of facts and, and yeah. lines, really. And I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the problems that I had in general is uh, there's very little specificity. Um, both in the characters, but like even down to some of the job stuff in it, it feels so vague and nonspecific. It seems not reach, researched, honestly, to me. His job, like he works for a pharmaceutical company, and all the talk about company is things like "good job with that report, Simmons." Here's oh, your sure. raise. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's all very vague, and and I think I think you see it there. I think you see it in the characters that there's there's very little to make them specific uh the the girl that it looks like he's going to have an affair with that we know absolutely nothing about that character she's attractive and willing and that is apparently it yeah and even like (laughs) even if we were to not uh, like that that's even written in the script like he says Mm -hmm. things about how she's attractive and she says things about how she's you know willing to go off with him so yeah (laughs) it's it's even that is written into the script um, the place where they live feels kind of bland. Yeah. Um, like they, it looks and like I they want, live in a model home, doesn't it? Like it doesn't look lived so. in and except for until the prayer room until they do that. Well, and that's the thing. I wonder if that's a function of budget. Like they found a house they could afford to shoot in. And then the offices, they found a boardroom that they could afford to shoot yeah. in as opposed to personalize. Well, even then, like, but you don't have you to do that work. much. Right. You don't have to do much to personalize it. Like, you put, it, it's it's a house with a kid. You put some toys around the house. Yeah. Or, like, sometimes the kitchen is messy rather than clean every single time anybody's in there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, those things make it look specific to them. And, and that's never happening. Even with, like... Like the old woman, it looks like the same person decorated every house in the movie. And probably they did. It was one production designer. Um, But like. Well, the old woman is looking to sell her house because she can't get around so well. It seemed mm -hmm. like the house should have just a little bit of clutter. Yeah. You know, this is the house she's lived in for, you know, her whole life. Yeah. I mean, I it's tip top. Can you, can you imagine going into a house where there's an old woman who's been living there by herself for potentially decades and it looking the way that right. house does. No, no, not at all. And that again, is, goes back to this specific thing. There's, there's no specifics put into it rather than a few things they put on the walls around there. Like her answered prayer things, things that the only things that are in there again, functional, the things yeah. that they need to be there for the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, even the place is non-specific. It's like I, I don't know where they live, um, you know, what part of the country they're in. Yeah, at is least it, with you know, do you believe? Even though they obviously didn't shoot in Chicago, at least they said <laughs> this takes place in Chicago. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and and yeah, you're right. Like so much of it is is generic. You know, whether it be a model home or a dialogue where some somebody simply says, "This is what I want," and here's why. With there's no 
ornamentation at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I recently rewatched All the President's Men. You've seen that, I assume, right? Yeah. I look at that news office. I look at their cars. I look at their apartments. Those are, these are places where people work and where they live. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is no question about it. And, ob- and that's the thing. They didn't shoot in an actual news office. They recreated one, you know, you just, it doesn't take, it really doesn't take that much. And I feel like if you just change one thing, now it could be the one thing could be all of the art direction. So the one thing is still a big thing, but if you change one thing and put in more effort and make it look like the world that you live in, Mm -hmm. Alex Kendrick lives in this world. I guarantee you his house doesn't look like these characters houses. Mm Mm-hmm. His car doesn't look like these characters' cars. Like, take a look at the, look at your own emotions. Look at the way you talk. Look at the way your friends talk. Just look at reality. Try to mimic it. And even if you only succeed in one area, like, let's say, art direction. Mm-hmm. Other parts, now, that might wind up, if, if it looks, if it looks right, that might actually wind up, uh, you know, underlining the artificiality of the dialogue, or it might just, it might create honestly in the actors, mm-hmm. a more naturalistic performance yeah, because they're possible. in a, you know, in the same way that if you put a certain costume on an actor, now they have to move with the way this character would, cause this is what this character wears. And so I feel like, um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like, authenticity i guess that's the word not even realism but authenticity none Mm -hmm. none of the film feels really authentic yeah whether it be you know the houses they live in or the emotions they're feeling or the way they express them um and that is a thing that's there's something kind of intangible about it you can't simply say be more authentic you know which is why i think it, it it's helpful to break these down like look at the way they talk look at where they live and how they live and just, and just, you know, it's, you know, one of the theories, that, well, there's a few theories of acting, but like, as an actor, I think one of the most helpful things you can do is look at your own reaction to things mm-hmm. emotionally yeah. and then think, oh, okay, well, I at least know myself well enough to know that I would react this way if I were in this situation. Mm-hmm. So how do I blend that with the character I'm playing? Yeah. You know, and so... You know, I feel like I'm saying this as though Alex Kendrick is listening. He is most definitely not. But, you know, strive for, strive for authenticity, which is to say also strive for, uh, organicness, organ, I don't know what the noun for organic is. Um, hmm. I don't know. I can't figure it. It's not organism. That's a different thing. (laughs) Um, but like strive for that strive yeah. for, you know, creating strong characters, creating a strong world, and then just see what, what flows out of it because it will flow surprisingly naturally if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, we should, we should move on. Are there any other, you know, when I talk about the script in general, so many other things would seem more right if the script were better. Yeah. Now, so. The actors might still be a little bit stilted, but you know, you'd be amazed when you've got more realistic dialogue. And if you just say it more realistically, I think it'll just flow better off, off your tongue. Yeah. Um, you know, can you think of any, and again, like 
there are entire scenes that I don't, there are entire chunks of the movie that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that can be put down to the three act structure thing as well. Yeah. And we can maybe get a bit more specific about that in a moment. But, um, so what are, what are your like big, your major criticisms of the film? I mean, I think that's one, uh, the, the, the sort of specificity thing I was talking about. Uh, I think the performances mostly are bad. Um, which you, you can take bad dialogue and make it interesting. A lot of actors have done a lot Mm -hmm. of great actors have done it. And I, I, I don't think that's happening at all here. Um, yeah. Uh, some of it is casting choice. Even like, I feel like, I don't know. I, 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 the, uh, the husband feels miscast to me. Hmm. Um, uh, then I, I talked a little bit before about how the, the stakes are never really there. Um, it, it all, it seems to come so easily. Like at the beginning, there's a threat that something's going to go wrong with their marriage. And later on in the film, there's a, there's a, a threat that he might cheat on her. Um, but he doesn't. And their marriage, slowly their marriage is getting better and better throughout the film. I, I was expecting it to do something that would have been obvious, but at least would have been more dramatic if uh, things seemed to be going better and better with them. And then he cheats on her and then she has a difficulty with that because she's right. been, you know, thinking that things are going better and feeling like the prayer is working. And then suddenly has this moment where it, uh, it you know, where it's not working so great. Mm-hmm. Um I think it'd be more effective in some of these movies if there were at least a moment where some of the characters doubt God. Sure. You know, rather that sometimes that's their starting position. They're like, Oh, I don't need to worry about God so much. And then the whole movie is just them moving in a continuum more towards believing God, um, in a very boring straight line. Um, they just trust him more and more and more and more. And then the movie's over. Um, and it'd be great to see if like, if, if there was a moment where, she felt like she was changing him. Then he cheated on her. And then she's like, where, what happened? I thought, God, you were in my corner or whatever. Well, and I feel like that's, that speaks to, uh, something that, that does tend to bother me. If you have a character who has faith in God, suddenly doubt God. Why do they do that? Well, because they're reacting to something and what are they reacting? Something not going well. Yeah. And that is something that tends not to happen in these movies. Yeah. And it's like, you've embraced God, you pray to God. All right. Your life has gotten better. Mm -hmm. And while I believe that your life will be easier as a function of believing in God and praying to God and welcoming God into your life, easier is not the same as easy. Yeah. And I think these people's, you know, again, there are, you said there are consequences. You know, it turns out this guy was stealing from work and he gets fired as a result. Mm-hmm. He could also go to jail. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go to jail. Um, so he does get fired. But at the same time, he gets fired at the same time that her job is uh, starting to pick up. And then yeah. he gets offered another job at the end that he will find infinitely more satisfying, even though the pay isn't as much. Yeah. The, like, it's just everything goes well. Yeah. The only time we ever see any real consequence is when they come to take his company car. It's yeah, like we could care less about them. They they try and I think the filmmakers or the writers realize at some point, like I think that's what they want that moment to be. Like, yeah, they're they're having to sacrifice something, but yeah. we don't care at all about the car. They have another car for crying out loud. Like, yeah, and the other car is also very nice. Yeah, they're fine. Like that's that literally so having means, to move. 
Yeah. You know? That's I thought the exact same thing. They live in a palatial house. Yeah. They live in a giant house. And granted, he he was really doing well for this big vague vague though it is pharmaceutical company. Yeah. Um so great. That's that's the easy that's almost built in. Like you live in a huge yeah. house, you lose your job, you have to move into an apartment because you don't have have enough money. But through that uh, external circumstance, they're able to deal with it because they trust in God and this and this and that. So uh, that could be effective and it might be a little bland. Even then it might not be that it might be predictable, but it's at least showing some kind of consequence and some kind of uh, uh, some kind of stakes in Michael Mann's the insider, which you have still not seen. Correct? Not yet, no. All right. So in it, there is a guy who is a top scientist at a tobacco company, and then they start doing something that he's not happy with. So he actually kind of makes a stink of it and they fire him. Mm-hmm. So, and he, as I'm sure you can imagine as a top scientist at a tobacco company is paid very well. Mm-hmm. And within a few minutes of screen time, he and his family have to move. Because they cannot afford to live where they were living. And, it be, and it's an issue, partially because his wife has gotten used to a certain standard of living, but also emotionally. Like she, she says, like, this is where we live, you know, this is where we lived when our kids were born. This is, you know, and she has all these memories associated with their house. And now they have to move. And so it shows them moving into a smaller house and having to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's a, a shack or anything like that, but it's a, it's a more, it's a normal house as opposed mm. to this really nice house. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a sacrifice that has an impact on character mm-hmm. and it will have an impact on if this person is a Christian, it will have an impact on their faith. You know, it's just one of the things that bothers me is I feel like, and then I think from a spiritual standpoint that bothers me about these movies is that it basically says that if you embrace God, he will embrace you to such a degree that nothing will ever, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything, it's entirely possible that things will happen bad, bad things will happen to you specifically because you are a Christian now. Um, You know, for example, he almost, he does the right thing by telling his former bosses that he stole from them and the con- and there was a consequence to him doing the right thing. Now it wound up not happening, but at least they acknowledged that it could have happened. So yay. Yeah. But yeah, it's just having characters doubt God, having them deal with real life consequences as opposed to a surprising amount of time devoted to jump rope. <laughs> It's hard for me not to be incredulous about this, partially because like we're dealing with a marriage that could have fallen apart, an affair that could have happened, all of, you know, forgiveness, shattered trust, feeling like you can't depend on this other person that, that swore that, you know, that, you know, took an oath that they would try to take care of you and love you. All of that is happening. And yet it ends with a double Dutch tournament. And I guess they do get in second. So I guess there's that. They don't yeah. win all of it. Yeah. You know, and it's just like if he'd been a better father for longer, they might have gotten Exactly. First. Exactly. And it's just but when things are going well, nobody ever gets mad at each other. Everybody's always forgiving. It's just like I've been a Christian for a very at this point a very long time, as has my wife. We've been married for 10 years. We had an argument today. We had an argument yesterday. 
And yes, we worked it out, but the argument, and then we had one, uh, several days ago and that one was rough. It was a rough argument. And yes, we got better. We, we talked things out and we, and we were closer as a result. But in that moment, I was furious and I felt so alone. Mm -hmm. And undoubtedly my wife felt that as well. You know, you and your wife have arguments. And when you, in that moment, when you feel like this person that says they love you so much is making you feel so bad. Like you, there's a, almost a sense of betrayal there. Like mm -hmm. it just feels, it feels so awful. Yeah. These movies aren't engaged in that. They, they, they don't want to engage with those emotions at all. They don't, they want like, there's maybe a little bit of conflict that's not going to be telegraphed very well and scripted even worse. And then they'll get, they do it precisely so that it can be gotten over. Mm -hmm. And then we can show everybody happy again. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, and I had a big, even an even bigger problem with this with Fireproof, mm -hmm. where the arguments they had were so castrated and boring, and with all, every edge just sanded off. They're just like, if this is their argument, you know what? Their marriage is pretty good. I don't even know why they need this love dare thing. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's it's funny. I was just thinking. Uh, I think part of the reason they do that is they they don't want anything to be too edgy because that feels like non Christian somehow. I think they're worried that that'll get into some kind of territory that I don't know. I, I feel like somehow they feel like that's going to be non Christian. Uh, or there would be swearing involved. There would be something yeah. that they felt like they couldn't put in. But I was just thinking with, uh, very simple, uh, totally clean and totally acceptable dialogue. The arguments in Bojack Horseman, mm -hmm. <laughs> much, much better. Oh, sure. Than these ones. And they're very short. They're very simple, but there's a few lines in some of those that are very effective and very strong. And so what that is to say, like, uh, you you don't you don't have to have conversations be really long and really uh, uh, I guess really bad yeah for them to for you for you to communicate effectively how far a relationship has fallen from what it's supposed to be yeah it's like think of how powerful it would be if you had Elizabeth say to her husband, I hate you yeah. and I don't, and, and I don't want to yeah. like, she's at least acknowledging that she shouldn't be feeling this way. But like, think of how dramatic it can be to tell someone that you love, I hate you. Yeah. Or like, I don't, or someone says you need to forgive him. And she says, I don't want to, he doesn't deserve it. And then just let it sit as opposed to the other one be like, well, does anybody really deserve it? You know, jumping mm -hmm. into it immediately, like let the characters be wrong for a while. Yeah. I'm wrong all the time, you know, and then all the time, all the time. I'm wrong right now. I pushed the wrong <laughs> button to record. We're not recording. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> this has been a really good conversation though. I mean, it's been, it's always fun talking. Let's to you, just Josh. talk about lava lunch. Like, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's just like the characters need somewhere to go. And I certainly feel like uh, Elizabeth has no arc. I mean, she's, she learns a little no. bit from Miss Clara early on and then she's good to go. It's for the just, rest it's of it. that, like I was talking about that line, I'm listeners at home and I'm doing this thing with my hand, which would make it much clearer if you can see me. Yes. Uh, but no, it's just this like consistent upward arc and yeah. sorry, arc is the wrong word because yes, yes. arc uh, implies that it goes up and down. Yeah. Um, this is one straight line going up. Yeah. It's just, and then early on 
Miss Clara sets her on that path and then she just walks it all the Mm -hmm. way up. You know, her husband has more of an arc and that's fine. I like the idea that we have two leads, but I feel like both of them should have an arc. Both of them should have moments. You know, maybe he apologizes to her and she is unforgiving of him in that moment. He is opening himself up only to find her shutting him down. That has happened in my marriage. Yeah. And it's, and that's tough because, and, and that, and that it's so frustrating because filmmaker, I think Christian filmmakers think like, well, no, we don't want to, you know, that would make people feel bad. It's like, no, it would make them invested. Yeah. If he suddenly decides he wants, to, he needs forgiveness and he asks her and she says no. And then he storms off angrily. You and the audience like, oh no, like you're, you know what you want them to do. You know what they need to do and they're not doing it. It makes you more interested yeah, and more invested in them doing the right thing and more happy when they eventually do it. Yeah. To just have everything work out all the time. It's just, it's all right. Everything worked out fine. Just as I thought it would be. I never have to worry about anything. Leave the theater, the end. Yeah. And it just like, and we're, I mean, we're talking about basic character conflict, which is what movies are, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sorry for sounding so exasperated, you know, and I, I don't, again, I don't want to be too judgmental about this film, but like, this is the fatigue that we're talking about. Yeah. This is the thing we always talk about and no one is demanding better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, and we don't, you know, and I know that I myself, when I'm talking to Christians who love these movies, I will usually say, you know what? I actually didn't like it that much. I, and, and I'll try to say what I actually didn't like. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not helpful to be really incredulous about it and be really angry about it. But at the very least, like, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had. It, it's a conversation that, you know, it's so I printed out these big stacks of paper for Alpha Omega Con and for uh, for uh, International Christian Film Festival. And it's just like movie recommendations from more than one lesson. And there some of them are movies that are like R rated, but other in other cases, you get like a man for all seasons and stuff like that. Just like just because like I just want to give this and be like, here, just just watch those just watch them and then see what happens. You know, <laughs> I just feel like the issue may be, you know, we're talking about three act structure, character conflict. We are talking about the basic building blocks of filmmaking and mm-hmm. storytelling. And I feel like a person who watches movies and loves movies and what, and is looking to engage with mo- with film as an art form. I feel like they would know this, which leads me to believe that Alex Kendrick is not watching movies except maybe, maybe other Christian movies. Yeah, it's possible. And I don't know if that's actually true, but I feel like it has to be, it has to be. If you're, if you're in a, like if you've watched great movies and you see, and you, then you write this script over here, you have to know that this, well, this isn't how movies are. I, I, think I don't it's, know. It's, it's very possible that people can cannot recognize it. I think there's enough people that I've run into throughout the years who uh, who love movies and can tell you so much about you know some great movies that they love, but they they don't understand how to make them. I guess that's you know? true. I mean, you know, and and if you've got money, some of the script consulting I've done, like you know, yeah. these are people that see movies and yeah, they exactly cannot replicate quality yeah uh and and if you've got money and you want to be a filmmaker then you are a filmmaker so yeah uh it it doesn't really it doesn't follow that uh the people who are actually making the films are necessarily ones who 
know anything about filmmaking. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm grasping for, you know, a reason why these movies can so consistently be this bad. And I mean, ultimately it's just nobody from the director to the audience is demanding that they be good. I think, well, I think part of it is also that the market is underserved. Sure. Um, I mean, this is another thing I think feel like we've said on the show before, but uh, anytime there's a market that's underserved, if uh, people are hungry for something that's going to either appeal to their demographic or to tell them what you're to, to espouse ideas that they agree with, mm-hmm. um, people are willing to accept a lot less. So I, I think that's something we shouldn't do as film goers, but I'd, I'd say that is the general, that is the case generally with people. So I, I, I th- and I think I might have come to this conclusion a little bit last time we were talking about Courageous, is the good thing that comes out of these is uh, the more they make money, the more people see, oh, these Christian movies make money. Mm. Um, the more people are making them. And if you've got a hundred movies to choose, a hundred Christian movies to choose from instead of two every year, yeah, then you're going to start going to see the better ones eventually. Yes, that is true. So, you know, maybe, tw- maybe 20 years from now or maybe even 10, who knows? Yeah. Maybe the the idea is that there will be so many that you, you know, right now, maybe it's like an any port in a storm kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's and the other I, thing. I is, think that's the audience that we were seeing it with. Like, they were applauding the points that yeah. uh, that are the, you know, kind of the central points they want to hit home in the film. And afterwards, as we were walking out, I mean, we heard, we overheard people saying to each other, like, isn't it so great to see a movie with that message in the theater? Yeah. You know? And... So yeah, it's like I I tend to come down pretty hard on these audiences and these filmmakers, and and I think I need to be careful about that and not be condemning and, and overly judgmental because you know it, it is just a thing that like this if this is a thing that you really want and that you yearn for and if you feel like Hollywood has a disdain for you, which by the way it probably does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a thing you're sensitive to than like anybody that says not merely that you're right, but that there is such a thing as right. And this is what it is. You know, it will be appealing yeah. and it will be refre- and it will be refreshing, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. And, you know, and so if you are one of these people that we're talking about, I do apologize for ho- hopefully my tone uh, coming across as maybe a bit too strong. Um, and what I will say is that like, I understand the need to watch movies that affirm the things that you believe. I mean, everybody does it, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they have political beliefs or or whatever, everybody does it. So I I understand that I can, I can relate to it Um, there. And hopefully what we can get across with this podcast, not merely this episode, but in general, it's that you'd be surprised where you can find truth if you're willing to look for it. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be in a movie that you would never possibly think uh, is communicating uh, a deeper truth to you. Um, But it is. So, you know, if you're if you're somebody, if you're if you're one of the the audience members that we're talking about, feel free to email me, Tyler at more than one lesson dot com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson dot com. We're not wrapping up the episode. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, engage with us. Like we're, we're always more than happy to give recommendations uh, based on the things that you like and the, and maybe even the themes that you respond to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, and that's the thing is, and let's say that you are listening to this and you're a film goer like Josh and myself, and you know, let's say you have people in your family that they want this thing. Like we need to be careful not to be overly denigrate. You can say the movie is bad. It is bad. War Room is a bad movie. Hmm. That's fine. You're simply stating fact, not opinion. Um, (laughs) don't take that tone. I'm being (laughs) facetious. Um, but like you can call a movie bad, but you don't have to. You don't have to crap on the maker of the film. You don't have to crap on the audience of the film. Just be like, just, just hear them out. Actually, I would, I was going to say like, just, you know, be loving to them and tell them this thing. No, don't tell them anything. Like listen to what they want and then maybe let that inform the conversation, you know, and chances are you, a movie will somehow come to you that you think this person, like it fits into their parameters and I, and it's a great movie. I mean, it's, it's a very standard thing whether the person is Christian or not, it's like, Oh, I like this movie. And you know, it's like, Oh, there's a way better version of that movie out there, you know? So, um, I didn't expect this to take this term, but I guess it's only natural when talking about our, our exasperation at Christian film at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will, we'll move into the companion film and then I'm going to try and wrap up sooner rather than later. Um, the companion film is a film that is, uh, in many ways, very depressing, and it does a lot of what we're talking about here, which is characters that are just selfish. Sometimes they mean well, sometimes they don't. They don't, you know, they, they betray each other, they, they hurt each other, they hurt themselves. Um, it is called The Ice Storm. It mm-hmm. is directed by Ang Lee, mm-hmm. a two-time Academy Award winner. Mm-hmm. Um and it is written by James Seamus and is based on the novel by Rick Moody. Has a great cast. You got your Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Toby Maguire, Christina Ricci, uh, Elijah Wood. Um, and it's a film. It's a film that, I, like I said, it is often very depressing. It's very. It just rings you out emotionally. Mm-hmm. It, it takes place in the nineteen, I believe, seventies, right? Seventies, yeah. When there's a certain. Well, yeah, you've seen it more recently than I have, I think, mm-hmm. and you read the book. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, I'll throw it to you. What is uh, what is the ice storm about in, in broad terms? I think a lot of it's about the uh, the sexual revolution and how that affected regular everyday people. Yeah, um, and I think it, I think it's a little bold in talking about the negative effects of the sexual revolution, which mm-hmm. I think is something we don't talk about enough. Yeah. I think we talk about a lot of positive things that came out of it, but I think um, there were a lot of things that were inspired by positive ideas and uh, were not thought out and their logical conclusions. And so I think this, this, the book and the film are kind of exploring a little bit of that. And uh, uh, the, the, culture of pleasing the self that came out of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you have people cheating on each other because they feel like that's what they want, but are recognizing that eventually have to recognize through the course of the film that just following what they want doesn't, isn't going to bring the happiness that they think it's going to. Yeah. I feel like, uh, one, a big thing that I got from the film, um, sort of a similar thing that I got from boogie nights, which is there's this attitude of, you know, Hey, whatever you want to do is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't live, you know, you, you, the only person you have to fulfill is yourself. Don't worry about, don't get your fulfillment from anybody else. And incidentally, don't worry about fulfilling anybody else. Um, just worry about what you need and what you want. Um, 
And so there's that, but I think also there's a great deal. uh, I think the film also deals with the cultural aspect of that as well, which is the sexual revolution and the impact it has on you as an individual is one thing, but it also has an impact on culture. And then, then there's an expectation on you Mm -hmm. that maybe you actually don't want to cheat on your wife. Yeah. But quite literally, everybody's doing it and you don't want to be seen as the square. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be seen as, if you'll pardon me, being on the wrong side of history. <laughs> yeah. um, and so you do this thing, maybe wh- even if you don't want to do it or if there's something inside you that says, I feel like maybe this isn't the right thing. Yeah. Um, and that's a big thing that I, that I especially like there's a, a key party. Uh, right. That's film. kind of like the, that's the sort of the culmination yeah. of everything toward, towards the end. And I feel um, like, and that's, a bunch of people that have internalized certain ideas, but they're also because of the, where they are and what they're doing, they're externalizing it. So it's almost like a mob mentality. I think, yeah. you know, if any one of these people decided I'm going to go have an affair, they'd be like, well, that's a terrible thing. I'm not going to do that. But because they're all deciding they're going to do it, suddenly it's okay. Everybody's yeah. crime is nobody's crime. And one of, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, uh, toward maybe like halfway through the key party or towards the end of it. Um, one couple, I don't remember if the men or the women are picking the keys out. Uh, I think it's the women. Anyway, um, one couple actually gets each other. Like Mm -hmm. this woman gets her husband's keys or whatever. Yeah. And they're, they're, someone's like, Oh, pick again. And they're like, no, no, you know what? That that's fine. It's, it's like, they've been given an out and you can see this relief on them when they're like, let's get out of here. Like, uh, I, I really like that moment. Yeah. It's, it's, and moments like that, I feel like acknowledge, I, I think they betray, not in a negative way. I think they betray like where the film, where it's, where it's philosophies are. Yeah. Um, because we see the impact and just the destruction of this. And in this case, it's, it's the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. but what's underneath that is the idea of the self, the me generation. Yeah. Um, and, so you have this rampant selfishness and self-indulgence. Um, and then there's an element of, Oh, sorry, you, and just the, just thought. the destruction that it, that it wreaks on the people that these characters would seem to love the most and probably do love the most, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. And suddenly realizing, Oh my gosh, what have I done? That's actually the, the note the film ends on. Yeah. Um, it's a really beautiful note, by the way. And then there's an element also of sort of the sins of the father visited mm-hmm. on the later generations things because you see how this is starting to affect the children. Yeah. Um, both in their own uh, kind of unhealthy attitudes towards sexuality and um, their their selfishness. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a wonderfully written film, a wonderfully acted film. Uh, it's available at the on the Criterion Collection right now. I know, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a and that's the thing is I'll say this. I mean, you know, War Room is about this couple that is one one character. The, the husband is particularly selfish, and the wife is actually not that interested in engaging with him. Uh, and so you have two people out to take care of themselves and protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And but I don't really buy any of it it doesn't seem real the ice storm seems all too real Mm -hmm. it's very uncomfortable and the whole time like you're frustrated with these characters actions you wish they would do the right thing but that's the thing you're wishing for them to do the right thing you're rooting for for right to win you're rooting for good to win Mm -hmm. uh it's not heroes versus villains it is just selfishness versus selflessness you know which one could say is the essence of 
you know, aspects of the Bible, you know, dying to the self and all that. And so, um, so I feel like, you know, you know, and there's, there's a lot of sexual content as I'm sure you can imagine. There's some language. So, but I don't, I feel like the sexual content is certainly, I don't think it's very titillating. Um, I think it's very awkward and uncomfortable and, and it's meant to be. I think, I think that film has the most depressing sex scene that I've ever seen in an, in a film in the car. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I'm having like a reaction now and not the one one would think. No, um, it's, and, and, you know, and I feel like the ice storm is a really good argument uh, to like, just because a movie has sex in it, that does not mean that that movie is in favor of what these characters are doing. It no. is certainly not glamorizing what these no. characters are doing. And so, um, and in fact, even as they do it, the film could be condemning the thing they're doing. You yeah. know, it's all about tone. It's all about context. So, uh, I would, I would encourage you if you haven't seen the ice storm, seek it out. I recognize that we haven't made it sound very pleasant and it isn't, mm-hmm. but it's engaging. Yeah. And you'll be invested in these characters and you'll be, and you'll, you'll weep for them. Like they are very broken people broken by a, a cultural philosophy that is not at all interested in keeping people together, only driving people apart, whether they know it or not. So, um, so I have a couple of, uh, of quotes here. Um, cause war room more than actually about this marriage, it's about the power of prayer and the importance of prayer. Yeah. And so, um, so I've got just a quick thing from second uh, from first uh, Corinthians, and this is just about uh, marriage and about a re- uh, relationships and that sort of thing. So, um, and this actually has to do with with uh, sex primarily, but I think there's there's uh, something underneath it as well. Uh, so this is first Corinthians seven verses two through seven, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. I forget which translation this is, but I love the phrasing. Um, and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own uh, over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Okay, so this is very much about about sex, and I I I appreciate the candor. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bible. Um, <laughs> but what I like about it is there's an equality there. You know, a lot of people have certain ideas and certainly a lot of people that have been uh, criticizing War Room have talked about like, oh, this woman should just be forgiving her, just submitting to her husband and like, and just forgiving him of all the terrible things he does. Like just, and, and it's like, have you not been paying it? I'm not going to, def- I don't like defending the War Room, but have you not been paying attention? The film has plenty of condemnation for him mm-hmm. and his actions. And, and by the way, fireproof, like it wound up being like the other thing where mm-hmm. he, the, the guy was still a jerk. And then he's the one trying to court his wife. Not that she's being a jerk in that moment, but it's about just serving one another. And yeah. she happens to be the one that starts it. It, it, it kind of bothers me that that's people's reaction to the film because yeah. that's such a like, that's almost placing revenge as more of a cultural virtue than, uh, oh, than sure. forgiveness. It's like, well, he doesn't deserve it. You should get him back. Like, which is, which is a terrible idea to think that that, that, that is a, uh, uh, seems like a cultural moral to people. 
the older I get, the more I actually have come to realize that I don't think culture views forgiveness as a good thing. Yeah. I, I think um, abstractly, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think people, I think people value justice, like and consequences more than they might think. Mm-hmm. Certainly, they value it for other people. Yeah, um, they want forgiveness for themselves, and often we can't forgive ourselves either. But, um, but yeah, forgiveness is seen as weakness. It's seen as being a doormat. It's seen as any number of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, a lot of people have been taking it that way, as they would, you know, like Christianity is a. I won't even. I, um, spiritual aspects aside, as a philosophy, Christianity will run counter to what people like yeah. and people want and what people naturally want. And what they want is revenge. What they want is justice mm-hmm. and justice is a good thing. Um, but not all by itself because then it's very, very unrelenting. Right. And, and, uh, the, the question has you, I guess I'm trying to say is if you're going to, uh, if you're going to say that justice is important, then you, the logical next logical question needs to be who is the arbiter of that justice? And for many people, it is me. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. I was the wronged party. Obviously I should. Yeah. Or I see this injustice somewhere and here is, I will meet out my judgment for, for how this should be. Let me put on my skull shirt and get my uh, guns (laughs) and uh, problem solved. Hey, look at that guy jumping through the air. I'm going to blow him up with a rocket. I'm referencing the other companion film, Punisher Warzone. Yeah. That's a joke. That is not the companion film, though I do enjoy it quite a bit. <laughs> um, but not for any good reasons. Um, okay, so another one. Uh, this is also 1 Corinthians this is, uh, 13, verses 4 through 7. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard ever, this one. You've heard this. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I always like the perseveres is the note that ends on mm-hmm. because all those other stuff is all that other stuff is going to be very difficult, if not virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it ends with it perseveres. Just keep at it. Like yeah. it doesn't, you know, it's just, you're not going to be perfect and that's okay. Um, so these verses are about putting yourself, you know, Putting yourself second, at the very least. I mean, obviously, like, putting yourself second to Christ, but also in the case of your spouse, but maybe even other people as well. Um, it's not about complete and total self-denial. It's acknowledging that other people exist as well, yeah. at the very least, and that they also have feelings. And in the case of, like, a marriage, your job is to try to not necessarily make that person happy, because that person might not be happy, but your job is to love that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even when they are at their, and maybe even especially when they are at their most unlovable. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that is going to take tremendous strength that you probably don't have. Which then brings us to this idea of prayer, which is what War Room is actually about. Yeah. And it is astounding. Ugh, again, like, I don't want to defend War Room, but it is, it's astounding to me some of the comments people have made about it. The idea of going off to her prayer room, um, people scoff at it and they say like, yes, go and talk, you know, go and isolate yourself instead of talking things out. Absolutely. That's what it's like. Look, while I'm the first to say that the film does not communicate things well, I will say she is clearly trying 
as practically as she can to engage her husband. Yeah. And he's having none of it. Yeah. So if he's stonewalling her, then literally she is helpless. So the only thing she can do is go and pray. Yeah. Not that it should be a last resort. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but like, you know, and this goes, and I think this, this goes to like, you and I are Christian. We under we understand the nuances of this stuff. And mm-hmm. I think to some people, it's just, it's shockingly black and white. Yeah. Um, which is like, Oh, go and pray to your God or go talk to him. It's like, how about both? You can do both. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Um, and like, sometimes you'll be praying and you'll feel prompted to go and talk to your spouse. Sometimes you'll be talking to your spouse, realizing I'm not really getting anywhere and I'm getting a little bit escalated to use my marriage <laughs> counselor's word. Um, you know, I'm feeling a bit escalated, so I'm going to go remove myself and I'm going to pray to God to, you know, I guess maybe to change my spouse, but more specifically to change me yeah. as well. Well, because sometimes, uh, oftentimes you can't change your spouse. And I right. think that is a good, that's a line that is in this film is like, yeah. well, not exactly. I think I don't like exactly the way she says it. Like, it's not your job to change him or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know that I like exactly the way she says that, but the idea that what you have to do is fix your husband or wife and then things will be better is a wrong idea. Right. And I like the fact that this movie is, is, is not going, uh, with the grain and just agreeing with that. So I've got some, I've got some quotes here from no less than, uh, Martin Luther and Abraham Lincoln and various other people. So here's the Abraham Lincoln quote. I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Um, and I will jump right into this quote from Oswald Chambers. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We uh, we pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time, because his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. Um, so... I agree with that. I think it's, you know, it's, I, I certainly don't live it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of praying first instead of, you know, it, it's again, like, even as I say, like the, those comments echo in my head and it's like, it's a retreat. Mm-hmm. It's like weakness. It's like running away. Yeah. And it's, but it's not, it's acknowledging your own weakness and your own, uh, tendency to get things wrong going to god and in doing so humbling yourself and just asking for wisdom and strength and then from there going and trying to do the right thing and you might even still fail yeah i think it only can seem like uh uh you, you know cowardice or some kind of retreat uh if you don't believe uh, who god is and a lot of right. the people who are making these comments don't believe that. Right. But uh, that's that's one thing I wish I would hear more from critics of Christianity, or at least Christian ideas, is uh, acceptance of at least the reason that we believe something mm-hmm. that we do. Um, because if we if we don't believe that God is the Creator and that He's He you know has power and you know has dominion over all things and loves us eternally, then Obviously, it doesn't make sense to pray to him. Sure, and they don't believe that, so I can under, I can from see from their perspective why it wouldn't make any sense to do that. No, but I I often wish that the same uh, uh, gesture would be 
extended to Christians and, and, and someone would go through the thought process to think, well, if you, if you believe all these things about God, then it makes the most sense to pray to him. Yeah. And I do wonder, honestly, in some cases, you know, people don't make this argument about the apostle. You know, they yeah. they make it with movies that don't give them much else to think about. Well, yeah, maybe so there so. is that. Yeah, and um, and I think that could go to yeah. And one of the other things you were talking about is they they're saying, oh, you just pray about it, and why don't you talk about it? The film might not be communicating well enough that they right. tried to talk through it and it didn't work out. Right. So sometimes for things like this specifically, it could be a fail a failing of the film. Yeah. Um, which goes to which, by the way, like goes a long way in, in something that we often talk about with art is that, you know, some people say, no, the message is what matters. Like, that's fine. But if you have a terrible delivery device for that message, it's not going to get across. In fact, you might wind up delivering the wrong message. So you need to worry. You need, you really need to think about how you are delivering that. Um, but we can, uh, we can move on. So yeah, it's this idea of like just praying first and asking God for wisdom and humility you know, praying that, and it sounds instinctively wrong to say like, change this other person, but maybe the phrasing of it is wrong. It's help this other person to feel loved by you, by, by which I mean, God, not you, Josh, but you know what? Maybe that too. Hey, it's a thing I pray for. It's like, Lord, please help, uh, the listeners to feel loved by Josh. <laughs> um, cause you've got so much love in your heart. Listeners. I've got so much love to give. Did you believe that? Good. God's not doing his job. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that, God's it, doing his job. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. Anytime you pray, you're like, come on, God, we, we yeah. do your job for crying out loud. I yeah. just ask for something. Make your money. <laughs> let's go. Um, let's go. I'm get your schedule. shine box. <laughs> shine up my heart. Um, that's a reference to Goodfellas, everybody. Uh, so, we have talked in the past um, about if there is somebody in your life that annoys you or just, or you have no sympathy for the best thing you can do for them is pray for them. You might never get along with them and there's no rule that you have to, but you can pray for them. And just, just the fact of you praying for them puts you more in sympathy with them. Yeah. It, it at least acknowledges once again, that they are people with flaws and feelings and pain and happiness. And they want the same things you do, even if they don't know it. Um, and so just like when dealing with conflict, it's like the first thing that we should do is pray for somebody just so we can try to see them as best we can as God sees them. Yeah. And that's, I think that's kind of a natural, uh, a natural byproduct is prayer is if you're talking to God about someone, you have to, at least in some part of your mind, think about how God is thinking of this person. And if you're harboring hatred towards them, that's not how God feels about it. So it has to, it naturally has to change a little bit uh, of the way you feel about them. And, you know, I feel like in my experience, if it's somebody that is just, and you run across it a lot in Hollywood, people that are just monsters, or on the internet. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. I've run across a handful of those too. Um, they're just, they treat people so horribly just because they can, because they have the power to do so. And it gives them some kind of ego trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you're just like, I like, it's a righteous indignation, which is you shouldn't yeah. be treating people like that. 
But I found for myself, when I pray for that person, I should say if, if I pray for that person, because I don't always, um, in that moment, it's not as, I don't, it's not as though I suddenly condone the way they're acting. My anger changes. My anger becomes anger at sin, and then my feeling towards them becomes kind of heartbroken. A certain degree of like, what must have happened in this person's life that they think they need to treat people like this? Yeah. And then sort of sort of sad for them that whatever it was that happened, it's a shame that that happened, and this is how they cope. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like in that way, I feel like that is how God reacts when he sees people being this, this kind of monstrous yeah. is he hates the sin that caused it. And then, and that's the general. And then in the specifics, he sees how broken these people are and he just feels sad for them or yeah. at least sympathy for them. Yeah. And it's, so again, I, I feel like just in praying that these people feel God's love and that you have the strength to love them as much as you can. Uh, I feel like that will just naturally change at the very least your outlook towards them. And it'll probably help you out of have a better outlook anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a, I've got a quote here from uh, Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. And I love the idea of that, which is like, and I feel like in this, in this, in the case of of these films, the idea of a marriage, you know, just going to hell basically. And it's like, no, it's, if it's going to go to hell, if my, if my spouse is going to cheat on me, then they're going to have to do that despite how much I love them, Mm -hmm. despite how much I'm, you know, dying to myself for them, you know, and just, and they might still, but if that happens, I, I can at least say that I was not blameless quite literally, but just that I did everything I could both practically and spiritually to keep this from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I feel like that would have to go to what you were talking about. If in war room, if the husband then went and actually had the affair, you know, and his wife, she then is in this position of like, God, I thought you were going to do this. And then this thought of like, my husband's going to do what he's going to do. I did what I could. Mm-hmm. And now what? You know, yeah. I feel like it's it's difficult. It's awkward to, yeah. to work with that. But it's unfortunately often the case in life that you may not get the thing that you think you want. And now what? Yeah. And then hopefully you go back to God. Yeah. Um, so here's a passage from Mark 9. It is part of a larger uh, story but I, in which uh, Jesus casts a demon out of a, a young boy, um, but I didn't want to read the whole thing, so here's just verses 25 through 29. Josh, do you want to read it? Sure. All right. All right. When Jesus saw a crowd running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And Jesus had gone indoor- after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can, only- can come out only by prayer. 
So I find this fascinating because, you know, Jesus is so often like, you know, he'll lay his hands on people and he'll do a very practical, active thing, but he acknowledges that there are some things that can only happen by prayer. Hmm. And I feel like the sooner we acknowledge that, the better, because I so regularly just will cling to things because like I need to control it. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure this happens because I can't really trust God to do it. It's like, yeah, but literally there's nothing you can do about it. This thing can only be dealt with in prayer. Yeah. And so uh, that's one of the reasons I want to uh, say that. Okay. Here's a quote from Martin Luther. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I love that phrase. <laughs> Lots of fun. Uh, it's a little, uh, He's a little precocious. Thing, yeah, Luther. yeah, he's kind of a scamp. Um, <laughs> but it's that idea of, of just so many people, myself very much included, will be like, I've, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. And it sounds super cliche. But it's like, well, you don't have time not to. Like, if you're this busy, that means you're going to need so much more grace. You're going to need so much more strength. Yeah. And so starting the day with prayer, and, and that goes towards, maybe especially towards relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, so there's a, a line here from the character Paul in The Ice Storm, played by Toby Maguire, and it's a line that I really like. Um, I didn't remember the specific phrasing, so I had to go hunting it down, and I found it. So, your family is the void you emerge from and the place you return to when you die, and that's the paradox. The closer you're drawn back in, the deeper into the void you go. So that sounds very, this character is kind of a stoner, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and strangely philosophical. Uh, so that sounds very dark and very strange, but I think it is, there's a truth to that, which is we see, I feel like we seem to, we want our independence. We want things our own way, but the more we draw away, I think the more alone we'll actually feel. And I think there'll be part of us that wants to re-engage and reconnect so, like, the further we go away, the the closer we'll want to be. But then often, when we get close, there will be part of you that's just like, get away from this person. Do you realize what this person requires of you? Get out of there. But then the further you go, the closer you'll want to be. And so, you know, that certainly applies to to marriage or any number of relationships, maybe, maybe every relationship, certainly. I think the relationship with God, um, there have been days when I feel specifically rebellious and just like, ugh, God requires so much of me. He's very exhausting. And so I don't necessarily reject the notion of God, but there are times when I get a little bit rebellious and I probably don't pray for a while, mm-hmm. often out of spite. And in doing so, I then start to feel very alone. And and then I will go back to God. And, you know, the good news is that he will always be there waiting for you uh, to embrace you. Um, but that's the thing. Like, if you are in a relationship, whether it be, again, a marriage or otherwise, you'll still want your independence. But just recognize that you're going to that it's going to be work, but the work and, and that work may make you want to run away from it. But you'll realize as the characters in the ice storm do that like there's a lot of isolation there and the work that is required to go into marriage is worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it seems impossible and that is when one should pray. And obviously one should pray first, not last, but I don't know. It's all this stuff. I think in my, for me, and maybe it's because I'm a Christian and, and I've sort of just taken these things for granted for so long. Um, 
you know, these things seem self-evident and they all, they all weave together. Um, I can't compartmentalize my relationship with my wife and my prayer life. The two have to go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know. This has been very, this has been very, uh, broad and very vague. And I, and, and uh, you know, I apologize for that. Uh, again, Tyler at more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. Um, if you have any uh, questions or anything like that, but, uh, so hopefully at, you know, here at the end, we can, you know, affirm what the, what the war room talks about. You know, it does have some truth in there, but that doesn't mean that the delivery device is perfect or even really any good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is unfortunate, but what the neat thing is, is that I came away from the war room as I said, feeling something like feeling like, okay, I feeling convicted and like, I need to do this for my wife. I need to pray more, all this kind of thing. God can use even the most broken vessel. Mm -hmm. And the war room is a broken, broken vessel. Mm -hmm. He can use even that to touch people's lives. And that is a thing that even in spite of how bad these movies can be, that is a thing to take joy in. Mm-hmm. That he will not be limited by our own limitations. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a wonderful thing. And I know it may not sound like it because you and I, you know, you and me and the listeners, like we strive for artistic quality, but it's just like, no, we should take tremendous comfort in that, that God does not require perfection in order to work. Otherwise yeah. he would never get to work through us. Yeah. So, okay. We will leave it there. Once again, episode got long. I, because we went broad, I should have explained. Should have expected that one because <laughs> we were talking big. Um, so yeah, as I said, you can always email me Tyler more than one lesson.com Josh, Josh, more than one lesson.com. Uh, you can find various articles and older episodes at the website. Uh, Reed Lackey recently wrote uh, a nice tribute to, uh, Wes Craven. And as he is a horror director and people tend to f- view horror and Christianity at odds with each other. Uh, it's always nice to delve into, uh, a more thoughtful uh, artist who works within a genre that one wouldn't think has any truth in it or, or any power in it. So, um, so seek that out. And then you can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. Uh, I think that is about it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.